In your bulletin is Numbers chapter 14. Uh, for those of you visiting, my name is Steve Hohenberger. I pastored in this congregation for about 14 years and uh, retired about a dozen years ago. One of the striking things about the mention that Daniel made in the prayer, as uh, the elders had also prayed beforehand, the uh, three men in our denomination who were influential and and wonderful servants of Christ uh, die within a week of each other. Uh, Steve Smallman, my wife and I served under at McLean Presbyterian before we came here, knew Steve well for many years. Uh, Harry Reeder, I only met once or twice, but I know the name well because he was uh, just a leading man in our denomination, and uh, Steve and Harry and Tim Keller. Uh, many of you know his name, uh, prolific writer, but also uh, very influential in the spread of the gospel in many ways. Uh, and the thing about Tim Keller, forgive me, but what hits home to me is that he was a year younger than me. <laughs> Uh, some of us notice those things when we get to the stage of life. As I said, our text is Numbers chapter 14. I'm going to begin at verse 10. That is kind of in the middle of the story, and I'm going to stop reading before we get to the end of the story, but I'll try to fill in some blanks for you as we go. The Word of God, Numbers chapter 14, beginning at verse 10. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. They wanted to deal with the people who disagreed with them. Uh, But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs that I have done among them? I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them, and I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. Well, that's quite a serious threat, isn't it? And uh, it leads to Moses' intercession for the people. We won't go here so much in the sermon, but please note that Moses functions in a capacity that looks forward to the intercession, the mediation, the redeeming work of the Lord Jesus himself on our behalf. But Moses said to the Lord, Then the Egyptians will hear of it, for you brought up this people in your might from among them, and they will tell the inhabitants of this land. They have heard that you, O Lord, are in the midst of this people, for you, O Lord, are seen face to face. And your cloud stands over them, and you go before them, and a pillar of cloud by day, and in a pillar of fire by night. Now, if you kill this people as one man, then the nations who have heard your fame will say, it is because the Lord was not able to bring this people into the land that he swore to give to them, that he has killed them in the wilderness. And now, please let the power of the Lord be great, As you have promised, saying, 
The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but He will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation. Please pardon the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your steadfast love, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt until now. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. But truly, as I live and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not obeyed my voice, shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers. And none of those who despised me shall see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit, and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land into which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. Let's pray together. Father, there's lots here that we could look at, but now as I invite your people to focus really just on one thought, I pray that your spirit would use your word you'd be pleased to use even my words that you would work in the midst of your people here so that we would trust and delight in you for who you really are. In Jesus' name, amen. For the few of you who may not have read Numbers recently, I want to refresh your memory a bit about this account. Uh, Israel came out of Egypt. They were at Sinai for a time. The law was given. And then, under God's direction, they headed north. Now, I'm not going to try and draw a map for you mentally or otherwise, but where they finally went was was east and then north, and finally crossed the Jordan River, which is the border along the east of the Promised Land. But that's not where they were headed here. They headed north from Sinai in order to enter the Promised Land under God's command and direction. Uh, That journey brought them close to the southern border where God had promised a land to Abraham's descendants. Some of them suggested, and the Lord affirmed, that they send some spies into the land to take a look at what was going on and what was the best way to go. And uh, the spies went, and they investigated. And I know many of you know this part of the story. Uh, Twelve spies, one from each tribe, leading men of the tribes, and they go into the land, and they return. And they're carrying between two of them on their shoulders, on on a pole, one cluster of grapes that one man couldn't begin to carry. 
and its evidence of the great fruitfulness of the land. So there's a positive side to their report. However, there was also an exceedingly negative side to their report, for 10 of the 12 spies who went into the land reported two things that turned everyone, virtually everyone, against obeying God and going into the land. That those two things were, one, they've got some very big buildings, fortresses there. There's no way we can conquer them. And two, there are giants that live there. And we were like ants in their eyes. The people bought that report. It didn't matter what God had commanded or what he had promised. The vast majority of the people bought that report and rebelled against God's command to go into the land. Moses, uh, oh, by the way, some of them even spoke of returning to Egypt. What a clever idea that was. At that point, Moses had to intercede for them. And that brings us to the events recorded in our text. Now, there's a lot we could consider here, and I'm not for a moment suggesting that it wouldn't be worth the time to investigate details of this passage. But what I want to call your attention to this morning is what I believe is the key issue for our purposes, for our circumstances, but also for theirs. And that is found in verse 21. The Lord says in response to Moses' intercession, I have pardoned according to your word, but truly, as I live, and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. There's a point here about God's character that I think we need to try to get a firmer grasp on today. I want to invite you to rejoice in God's pursuit of his own glory. Verse 21, as I live, says the Lord, and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. I have to tell you, I do read the Bible regularly. I hope you do too. Uh, and I don't know how many times I have read that verse. But a number of months ago, I read it, and it was like it jumped off the page at me. Have you ever had that experience? I trust many of you have. You're reading along, and, and it's familiar. You've, you've read the story or the words of the apostle or whatever it may be. You've read them before. And all of a sudden, something just hits home to you in a way that it had not previously. That's what verse 21 did for me, and that's why I invite you to rejoice in it today, not because it did it for me, but so that it might do it for you. What God says here is that 
the certainty of his pursuing his own glory to have it fill the earth is right on a par with his very existence. You see that in verse 21? As I live, says the Lord, and as my glory shall fill all the earth. Wow. It's like that's actually central to who God is. Why, yes, it is. God intends to glorify himself in all the earth. Now, there's a sense in which his glory is all around. Uh, uh, Psalm 19.1 just went out of my head. But it speaks of the glory of the Lord filling all the earth. Psalm 8.1, similar language. How majestic is your name in all the earth. But this is a different sense here. This is not the sense of the glory of creation or the the firmament above, the heavens above, declaring the glory of God. This is something different. This has to do with God's determination to make his glory known throughout the earth through both his judgment and his redeeming work. He intends to display his glory throughout the earth. You with me? This is not some tiny thing. This is the very character of our God. That his purpose as the creator of all things, is to make the resplendent glory of himself fill this earth. Now, you and I look around and we say, oh yeah, creation is beautiful, but there's also a mess. And we'll talk about the mess in a few minutes. But what we have here is God's declaration that he will do something utterly fantastic throughout time in order to bring to a conclusion this great goal of filling the earth with his glory. Now, some might say, well, boy, that sounds kind of self-centered. Well... It would be if you or I had that goal. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, Reject that goal immediately if that's where your thoughts are. Uh, By the way, that's closer to where some of our thoughts for any of us go at times than we might want to recognize. Because we like very much to be recognized and appreciated and even applauded. Uh, many of us would like to be the center of things. Some of us want to back off and not be the center, but even that can come from a motivation of caring about oneself. You see? 
The reluctance to have attention can be as, as, motive, as much motivated by self-concern as the desire to seek attention. And so clearly that's inappropriate for us to seek our own glory. But for the Holy One, the Mighty One, the One who brought all things into existence and sustains all things by the word of His power, for Him not to seek His own glory would be inappropriate and wrong. To seek it is the right thing for the living God to do. And so He does it. It's what the longing of our God's heart is. We've looked at some other Old Testament passages a few months ago, I acknowledge. This was one of them that I brought to your attention back in February, the last time I was preaching here. Uh, And since then, uh, by God's leading, I spent a good deal more time in this text, and it hit home much more powerfully to me. We've looked at other passages, but here's one thing I want to urge, is that you learn to pray and to long for what verse 21 is talking about. That you learn to long for and pray that God would fill this earth with his glory. You see, the problem is that it's actually our perspective on life that's often very self-centered. And we live in a culture that is absorbed with feeling good and living for feelings. I'm not going to get into that subject this morning except to say that it's certainly behind many of the attitudes toward human sexuality and gender that are dominant in our culture today. It's a feeling-oriented culture. And we need to be very careful that we don't slip into that, not just in the area of gender, but more generally with regard to any aspect of life. Our perspectives on life by nature tend to be self-centered. If you find that's true of you, there's an easy solution, you know. It's to confess it to God and ask his forgiveness. Maybe it's a prayer of repentance that needs to be part of our lives more regularly. But I want to invite you now to look, secondly, first, rejoice in God's pursuit of his own glory. Secondly, look to the greater display of God's glory. So, Israel rejects God's plan. Moses intercedes and and the Lord pardons, and yet he's going to deal with this matter. Uh, But God uses the situation here with Israelites in order to reveal that part of his plan that has to do with filling the whole earth with his glory. Again, we'll come back to this in a minute to talk about why here, why this situation does God say that. But before we do, I want, you to, I want to invite you to look to the greater display of God's glory. 
1,400 years after this incident, guess what happens? Israel once again rejects God's plan. Israel rejects God's plan in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Their leaders lead the way, but they persuade the mass of the people to go along with them. Much like the spies that went into Canaan and came back with a bad report, and suddenly the nation has decided not to go into the land. So it is, 1,400 years later, Israel rejects the one whom the Apostle Paul calls, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the Lord of glory. The Lord of glory was crucified because of their unbelief. But you see what the Father did as a result of that rejection. He used it to accomplish salvation for the nations. Wow! His glory would spread through the gospel far beyond the borders of Old Testament Israel and to the whole earth. I hope you spend some time, folks. I hope you spend some time from time to time reading something about the missionary work of the church. Not just the PCA, but across the board. There are thousands of people in far-off places, thousands even from this land, not taking into account all the missionaries that have been sent by the church in other lands, thousands upon thousands taking the gospel to people around the world. What is that accomplishing? Why, it's resulting in the salvation of many so that many more voices are raised to give glory to God and acknowledge who He is. What a delight! Please, friends, if you find yourselves so wrapped up in day-to-day life that you seem to have no time to be aware of what the gospel is doing in other parts of the world, delete something of your daily activities your recreations, your, never mind, I won't say it, the junk that takes up our lives so that we have or feel we have no time left to be aware of the spread of the gospel. Please, look at what God is doing throughout the world. It is spectacular. And before you say, oh, well, Steve, you're retired. You have time for that. Uh, Your kids are all grown. You don't want to hear about some of the needs of our grandchildren, okay? Or the health concerns that come along once you're well into retirement, okay? So don't make excuses for yourselves. Hear what I'm saying, please. We need to be aware of the great work of the gospel throughout this world. Not so that we can feel triumphant, but so that we can see what our God is doing. He is causing the glory of his own name to spread throughout the earth. What a delight. 
one result <coughs> of the Jews' rejection that led to Jesus' crucifixion is that as followers of Jesus, you and I have the privilege of engaging in the spread of the glory of God into all the earth. We can support the work of missions. We can pray for missionaries. We can even speak the gospel to those around us who are in need. What are we doing when we do that? We are coming alongside the King of glory in the advancement of His kingdom of glory in this world. That, my friends, is way more important than some of the things that you and I fill our time with. Don't mean to judge you, but I can look at my own life and say, boy, I need to make better use of this time. Because unlike most of you, I don't have all that much longer to be around. And I'd better use it well. You have the privilege of standing alongside the King of glory as part of his army in the advancement of the gospel in this world so that his glory spreads through all the earth. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors. The King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors. The King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Psalm 24, 7 to 10. Read it for yourselves later today if you can. The King of glory is on the move. C.S. Lewis's Aslan was on the move, but nothing like our King. He will cause his glory to be known and seen in all the earth. But what if you're feeling hopeless in your present struggles or helpless in the battle with sin? Well, you see, even there, the message of this text is helpful. And now I want to go back to the point I skipped over. You see, I'm seeming a little discombobulated this morning. For those of you who are young, that means he's messed up. Because I made a major change in this outline coming in today, and now I'm going to move back to the section that I passed over intentionally. And that is to invite you to trust God in his pursuit, even in difficult circumstances. What do we have here? Well, we have a story where God declares his intention, his determination to fill all the earth with his glory. And look at what's going on. It's a mess. Why then? instead of in a situation where his grace is triumphing and people are turning by the jillions to trust and follow him. Why in this situation? Here's the lesson, I believe. The sins of those who are known as God's people 
will not stop his pursuit of his own glory. He will not give up that purpose. And so even when his people fail badly, even when there's sin that makes a mess of things, that doesn't throw God off track. He isn't somehow frustrated and so disappointed with our failures that he just can't move forward. He he doesn't throw in the towel because they're such a mess, I just can't work with them. No. That's not how our God operates. So, what do we see happening as a result of God's pursuit of His own glory in this account? Well, ultimately, His mercy will triumph through the discipline of a great mass of His people. And that probably applies to you and me. We receive God's discipline because He's merciful. And He trains us and draws us and instructs us and draws us nearer to Himself so that we might, recognizing our failures and our need, cry out to Him for help. I had a wonderful lesson a few, I don't know how long ago it was. You wake up and you're not feeling so good. And you say, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. I'm weak, Lord. I've failed. I've stumbled. I've made a mess. I don't even want to get out of bed, Lord. I suspect many of us could start our days with those three words in prayer. Lord, help me. And sometimes it's not even time to get up when I start praying that because I'm awake at 3 o'clock in the morning or 4 o'clock in the morning and I'm not going back to sleep and I say, Lord, help me. Because that's where our hearts ought to live, my friends. Recognizing our need and crying out, Lord, help me. And then you can go on and fill in the blanks of just what help you need. I'm not going to go there this morning. But you desperately need to learn in your desperation to cry out to the living God. His mercy will triumph through discipline. Verse 20 tells us that. Uh, His promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will triumph in salvation. That's beyond where we read today. But uh, in verse 31, we're told, Your little ones who you said would become a prey, I will bring in, and they shall know the land that you have rejected. God will triumph. And his justice would triumph through judgment. Please take this warning seriously as well, friends. Those 
who denied him, who did not live by faith, who wanted to be part of the crowd and enjoy the benefits, but didn't want to trust their God because he wasn't their God, would come under his judgment. Do you recognize how serious, how important the matter of actually trusting God is? It's not enough to come and sit here or for me to stand here on a Sunday morning and still be holding on to unbelief. I recognize unbelief is something we all struggle with, okay? And this is not a word of condemnation. This is an exhortation. We need to learn to trust God in the midst of the difficulties we face. We need to learn to lay aside our fears and anxieties and doubts and struggles and trust the living God who will, in fact, cause his glory to be known in all the earth. You think I'm going over the line? Well, let me remind you of a passage in Matthew 14. It's that famous story where Peter walks on the water. You know, the boat's out there, the wind's against them, they're having a tough time. Jesus is walking across the water. And they're all scared at first, and Jesus says, don't be afraid, it's me. And Peter says, well, if it's you, Lord, then call me to come out of the boat. And Peter steps out of the boat, and here he goes. And we don't know how many steps he got, but it doesn't seem like it was very many. And he starts to fall. And what does the Lord say to him? I know many of you know this, but I'm going to go through it anyway. He doesn't say, boy, Peter, you got three steps. He doesn't say, way to go, Peter, you're the man. He says, oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? And if you read the Gospels with any care at all, you will find that repeatedly Jesus said to one or more of his disciples, where's your faith? Why didn't you believe? What is wrong that you've seen these things and not trusted? You see, I believe the message of the Gospels as well as the message of the whole of the Bible is we actually need to trust God. We are not to make excuses for unbelief. We are not to fall back on psychological explanations for simply not believing what God says. And so I am exhorting you, my friends, be careful that you don't give in to the prevailing thoughts of our culture that tend to excuse sin because unbelief is sin. And instead, ask God's forgiveness and help when you recognize that you've given in to fear, when you're overcome by worry, when anxiety is eating at you, when you're not sleeping because you're so upset about life that you just can't stand it. Ask God to help you. Lord, help me. Lord, I'm struggling with faith here. I've got some, but help my unbelief. It's a simple matter, folks. The living God loves you. 
He gave His Son to be your Savior. And you need to keep turning to Him in childlike faith. Where is all of this headed? Revelation 21, verses 10 and 11, And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Revelation 21, 10 and 11, verse 23. And in the city, and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, because all glory belongs to God. And there is no glory in this earth that belongs to us but to our great God and Savior. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we ask your forgiveness. I ask your forgiveness, Father. I've not presented your word clearly. Oh, Holy Spirit, take these things. Impress on us the greatness of you with the Father and Son. Impress on us your right to glory and the certainty of your determination to have it for yourself. And then help us, Father, in the midst of our struggles to delight in the fact that you will accomplish these good things. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.